0: I love it when uh, uh, I'll tell you just my, one of my experiences with fasting that I know is like not godly, but like you still go, like go along with it, is um, uh, I was experienced to the Daniel fast now. Daniel, really, all the Bible says about a Daniel fast is that Daniel's one of these guys that was in the Old Testament. Uh, the, he's one of the few guys that the Bible never really records, actually as, as a sinning kind of guy as a man without guilt, basically. Uh, and it said, Daniel had no pleasant thing. And like, that's really like his fast was like that he abstained from like meats. And but it didn't get into like a ton of detail of what he did or did not eat. But if you look it up, like go look up Daniel fast on the internet, there's like a list there. Like, it's turned into the most legalistic things. To, it's like you, there is so much to eat there, you could gain weight on the Daniel fast. So like, I'm like, I don't know if that's the heart of what Daniel had going on for him. I think it was like there to, uh, and we'll get into why some of that, what fasting is there to really do. Uh, And so, and so as we talk about it today, one of the things I've shown anytime we show humor and stuff is to show how ridiculous it can get really quick. Uh, uh, How all the different personas you will see in church, you will see the legalist that if you're not doing it this way, you're doing it wrong. Uh, Yeah, that's a joke. And uh, there are like many different types, you know, the that people that will never fast, people that will never do this thing. And, and maybe they don't understand why or the power of it. And so this morning we're going to talk a little bit uh, about it. <clears throat> uh, you know, I, <clears throat> I don't like to say series or that we're preaching a series and things like that. But if, if this was going to be a series, it would really just be about Jesus. In the last... Uh, A month or six weeks, we kind of just started like jumping in through the Book of Luke and begin to just kind of go from there and begin to just talk about Jesus and getting to know Jesus. And so uh, today we're in Luke chapter five. Uh, uh, We're around um, verse thirty three this morning, and so we're just kind of moving slowly talking about Jesus. And I'm just going to talk about one little uh, group of scriptures that that from verse like thirty three to. I don't know, 35 or 38, somewhere in there. And I, that's all I'm going to get to this morning so we can get right into uh, uh baptism. I told them uh, to basically tell me to kind of when we get to 1130 that I need to start holding it up and getting it ready. Uh, so <clears throat> I want to jump right in. I want us to learn about Jesus, and and the only reason why is this, because, man, if you look at me and try to model your life after mine, you are going to have heartache and disappointment. Uh, But if we look to Jesus, if we get to know Jesus, if we begin to read God's word and and, and begin to read about Jesus, that'll that'll give us at least a start in understanding who Jesus is. Because at the end of the day, it doesn't doesn't matter how much you know about Jesus. What's going to matter is if you know him. But, it's, but, but one of the nice things about the Bible, it allows you at least the first step. Just, just learn about him. And then as you learn about him, we can start stepping into the knowing him. And so it just starts out small like that. And so we're going to start. I'm going to just jump right in. Luke chapter 5, verses 33 through 35. A couple of scriptures just to start out, and then we'll, we'll kind of go from there. It says, one day some people said to Jesus, John the Baptist's disciples fast and pray regularly, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees. Why are your disciples always eating and drinking? Jesus responded, do wedding guests fast while celebrating with the groom? Of course not. But someday the groom will be taken away from them, and they will fast. Now, the question he's immediately asked is, why don't your disciples fast? And to me, that seems straightforward enough. John's disciples fasted, the Pharisees' disciples fasted. But again, John's ministry was a lot different. John was quick to say that his ministry only existed to prepare the way for Jesus. He is not a supplement to Jesus. He was simply someone who's opening the door and letting the world know that Jesus is here. That was his whole ministry. And this is a tough question because up until the arrival of Jesus, everything has always been about the law, rules, legalism, everything we hate about the church, religion, that's what it's been. That's all we've had. Uh, there had been an absence of grace. And, and truthfully, people people don't understand it. They don't know it. They didn't know it then. Let's not lie. We struggle with grace now. This idea that we can absolutely just forgive someone no matter what they've done. I mean, if we were honest, one of the things I've preached in here before, it was a meme that I saw. If you don't know what a meme is, it's nothing but a picture with some words on it. And I remember and it says, uh, and I, I saw it shared like a whole lot. It was like, a, you need to get all those backstabbers uh, uh, haters, jealous, uh, envious people out of your life. And everybody's like, amen, get those people right out. And all I can help was think is, dude, that's all of us in heaven. You know that, right? Like, that's all of us. Yeah, I mean, all of us are the, basically the enemy of God. You know, we're all backstabbers when it comes to Jesus, man. We let that guy down all the time. Like, we are the worst friends ever to God. And so I'm like, I'm always very careful about that because uh, the one thing I was telling somebody this morning who was saying that, you know, he was glad he would he, experienced some bad issues and th- bad things in the church. And he was saying how his kids are loving to come back to church now and things like that. And I was said, awesome, man. I'm glad they are. I said, but one thing I always tell my kids, just make no mistake. When you go to church, where do you think liars, thieves, people who are temperamental, people who are jealous, envious people go and can be loved? It'd be like complaining about hypocrites in the church is like complaining about sick people at a hospital. Where else can they go? Who else loves hateful people? Who else loves broken, messed up people? Who else accepts people that are just like they are, doesn't... Listen, never once have I ever really physically caught Jesus trying to change me. But I will say this, after walking with him, I have found myself changed. I can't tell you when it happened. I just can tell you that it did happen. Uh, And what I've come to know is that Jesus is just so gentle that before you know it, you're just different. All the things that had a joy to you before are not the things that bring you joy now. And so it's hard for them to understand grace just the same way it's hard for us to understand grace. They don't don't fathom why they're not fasting. The disciples of Jesus, they're living and learning with the physical, tangible Son of God, right? I mean, none of us, I don't care how much seminary you get to go to, they're like, hey, the professor today is Jesus, and he's going to come in and teach you everything you need to do. And you're like, yes, straight from the mouth, man. No, it never happens, right? So for, for the apostles, though, there's no need to pray and fast for the presence or the guidance. You know, at times we pray for counsel, right? They don't have to. Because what do they do? They just tug on the rope. Hey, bro, Jesus, totally need some advice. You know, I mean, they can just ask him. He's right there. He's like a couple of feet from them. Anything that they might want to ask, he's right there. Any need they might have, any healing or issues with their family, they've got his attention. He's right there. So John's ministry, though, is a transition ministry. John's ministry is not one like that. You've got to fast and you've got to pray because John can't meet your needs. Only Jesus can. Right? So he teaches them to pray. And to fast, to seek God, right? John's ministry is to prepare the culture for Jesus. For Jesus. So before Jesus had physically made his presence known, John had taught his disciples a great truth, one that I believe that Jesus supports here, that when Jesus isn't presently before us, we are to fast and pray for his presence to be amongst us. Why were John's disciples praying and fasting? Because Jesus, Jesus needed to show up. And once Jesus started to show up, things changed. Matter of fact, uh, John's disciples did uh, fast and pray. And if you go back and read some, uh, the, the context, his two disciples were Andrew and John. We know their names because they become the first two disciples of Jesus. It says they left John and followed Jesus. They quit fasting because the presence of God showed up. And so therefore, they, were, they didn't have to fast because he was standing right there. It was a transition ministry. Before Jesus had physically known, John had taught his disciples this. That God is not far from us. I believe John was preparing the way for the church to function correctly. So that when the day would come, like he said in the scripture, the groom will be taken away from them. They would know exactly what to do. When the presence of God is removed from us, now you know exactly what to do. Anytime that the presence of God is far from us, we should be praying and fasting. We should be a people of prayer and fasting. Jesus says, I've come to build a house of what? Not a house full of sick people. Not a house full of uh, liars. Not a house full. He said a house full of prayer. A house full of people who hunger to be in my presence. So much so that they begin to talk to me and tell me and want me. And they desire to put the things of the world out. They begin to fast, right? Which we're going to get to more of what that means, but they begin to like, abstain from other things because the need for me is so bad. It's like somebody who can't take anything else. They don't want food in the desert. They just want a drink of water. And I'm telling you, there ain't no other drink that's going to be sufficient. No other thing that can quench their thirst like the water. Now, Jesus could have just said something simple, but he chooses a different way of approaching this. Jesus simply asked, well, do wedding guests fast while celebrating with the groom? I mean, he could have just said, listen, I'm here. He He could have just addressed it head on, but he doesn't. It's a rhetorical question, right? Jesus knows the answer. And so did they, right? Because it's simple. Of course not. Do wedding guests fast while celebrating with the groom? Of course not. However, his choice of words there, there's a lot to be found out. There's a lot to be seen. Jesus refers to himself right here as the groom and his disciples are the wedding, as the wedding guest. And in doing so, he reveals to them his plan. It's his way of saying why he is here without actually having to say it. Jesus is here as a groom. He's here because he is a man in love. There is a long-awaited marriage between him and his bride, and the wait has spanned thousands of years. I mean, he's a man in love. Time has not faded his love either. He has written this book, the Bible, as a, 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 literally as a testament of his love for us. That's what it is. That's why the Bible can't make you know Jesus. It can make you know about Jesus, and it's powerful. Because the words can remind you of the promises that he's given you. But it can't make you know him. That's a personal thing. That's a personal thing. And while at this moment that we're reading about and even our current moment that we're personally living in, there is a coming of time where God will literally be the groom and we will literally be the bride. Revelations 19, I don't know if you've read this, in verse 7, it says, Let us be glad and rejoice. Let us give honor to him, for the time has come for the wedding feast of the Lamb, and his bride has prepared herself. She has been given the finest of pure white linen to wear, and listen, for the fine linen represents the good deeds of God's holy people. The time is coming, church, that there will be a wedding. The promise has been sealed through the blood of Christ. It's done. This is how we are there. I used to go back and say, we're already there. If you want to go see yourself in the future, if you believe in Jesus Christ, and you know Jesus Christ is your Savior, you're already in the book of Revelations. John says, he beholds, he sees the future of us. He sees, he says, who are these people? He sees, I see these people, they're clothed in white, and they're singing praises unto the Lord. The angel goes, you know who these people are? He goes, I don't know. He goes, these are the ones who've clothed themselves white by the blood of the Lamb. What does that mean? That means those who've received Christ have received his grace, have received salvation, who've been made white, not by their own doing or religious uh, 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 rule-keeping or anything like that, but by accepting the grace of God, they've been made white. Righteousness has been imputed unto them. Holiness has been given unto them. Do they deserve it? Absolutely not. That's what grace is. But they're there singing before the Lord. John sees it like it's a future thing. We've been made holy. We've been made right through the blood. This is what Jesus was talking about. He wasn't saying that fasting is bad. On the contrary, he was saying it just wasn't time. While he was there, it wasn't time. So when is it time? He said, but someday the groom will be taken away from them. Then they will fast. Jesus has ascended back into heaven. Now he's left us with the Holy Spirit that so we would not basically so we would not be left as orphans. It's not like I'm going away, but I'm leaving you somebody so you know that you're always my kid. I'm not leaving you unattended. I want you to always know you're my kid, right? So he doesn't leave us abandoned or destitute. And listen, I know we struggle to feel the presence of God. I know we struggle to feel the Father. We can sing, oh, he's a good, good father, right? But we don't always feel that. Let's be honest. We don't always feel like he's the greatest father. And so what do we do? We're supposed to turn to fasting and praying. Because when that, when that absence happens, when that, when that absence takes place and that distance grows, we're supposed to turn to prayer. We're supposed to uh, uh, turn to fasting. One of the great books that I've read, that, that I read it because somebody else said it was really good, it, it's called The Journal of David Brainerd, and it's exactly what it says. It's the journal of this man named David Brainerd, who back in the early uh, uh, 1800s was a missionary to the American Indians, believe it or not, in New York and Pennsylvania. That tells you how old that is. Um, it is the most depressing book. Ever. I would not tell you to read it. But let me tell you what was neat about it. He, would, he was just watching his prayer life. And I, I'm going to just guess that this is our prayer life a little. If I was to read it, he would go weeks and weeks with journal entries that were the most melancholy, depressive thing I had ever read. Oh, my gosh. It was so, like, I'm like, I'm surprised this guy didn't kill himself in the woods. I mean, he's like so sad all the time, like, God, you've sent me to these Indians. I don't speak Indian. Every Indian speaks different type of Indian language. And this translator you got me, God, he's not saved. I don't know what he's really saying. And it's like horrible. He's like, I don't know what he's saying. All I know is I'm preaching over here with fire, and this guy's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know what I mean? He's I mean, just like, he's not translating it really good. You know, there's like no fire in this guy. He said, so like the whole time he's like, I'm just praying that my translator gets saved. Because maybe if my translator gets saved, then everybody else can finally start really getting some, some word in them, man. I don't know what this guy's saying. I'm like trusting him. And like he's depressed a lot, a lot. And then he has these moments of prayer out of nowhere that he goes, if this isn't heaven, I don't know what is. And out of the blue, he has these like mountaintop prayer moments. And out of the blue, where he goes places and nobody understands anything he says, God's spirit would come down into these Indian villages, and he said that they would all be on the, 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 the dirt just crying and weeping at the hearing of grace, that God forgives them and loves them. It's, it's a God that they don't have to, like, build a fire and burn something to please Right? And they'd never, this was a freeing gospel for them, right? And so they've experienced, he he said, I would leave them and they were crying because it'd been three days since I've eaten because you have to go kill what you eat, right? He said, we'd go kill a deer and come back and it'd be like uh, a a day later and they're still laying on the ground crying. And I'm looking at this guy's life and I'm like, this is amazing. (laughs) I can't believe some of the things you got to see. But if I had to, if you had to read the whole book and you see how Probably 70% of his life is melancholy and depression and feeling like he's alone. But on the times God showed up, it's what sustained this. That 30% of the time where God shows up, it, like, sustains his life. I mean, even at the end, he's like, man, I have lived the life that God's called me to, and I have, like, no regrets. And you know who ends up publishing David Brainerd's journal? Some of you won't know this name if you don't know church history, but the great Jonathan Edwards... Jonathan Edwards would go on to write a a sermon called Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God and and basically a revival broke out. Brainerd died in Jonathan Edwards' house. And Jonathan Edwards, before David had died, he said, let me publish this. People need to see this. People need to see your prayer life. They need to see what it was like. You know how old David Brainerd was when he died? He died of tuberculosis at the age of 27. Powerful man of God. And from David Brainerd sparked, that 27-year-old sparked Jonathan Edwards' And the great, the great awakening of the early 1900s would begin. Crazy stuff. Late 1800s, man, early 1900s, all that stuff it just sparked a reformation. Crazy stuff. So when is it time? Jesus is gone, he's not, but he's not left us. Jesus begins to tell him the Sermon on the Mount. He begins to talk about prayer, and he talks about fasting. In Matthew 6, 7, and 8, this is about prayer. He says, when you pray... I love this because he, like, he knows what everybody else is going to say when they pray. It's like, when you pray, don't babble on and on as the Gentiles do, dang white people. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. Don't be like them, for your father knows exactly what you need even before you ask him. And let me break that uh, down uh, into the way we talk. Don't worry about a bunch of words when you pray. That's how we talk. Don't worry about it. Quit worrying about how much you need to say. All right, Just pray sincerely before the Lord. You don't have to repeat yourself over and over. God's not hard of hearing. He totally can hear you. Okay? Be authentic. Be you. God already knows what you need before you even ask. So just be open and just be honest. Pray. That's all you gotta do. Don't repeat yourself. Don't say the same things. Be you. I can't say that enough. I know I'm repeating myself, but I'm not praying. I'm talking to you. Because often, I think some of the times... I think some of the time I've said this before, I, sometimes I wish the internet was gone and I wish all the books were gone because let me tell you, what destroys your self-esteem is watching somebody else do something better than you. This, somehow it makes you like decrease your value or decrease your worth. The words you will pray to the Lord are enough. Don't listen to anybody else. I don't care how somebody else prays. You worry about you and the Lord. The Lord hears you. Your words are always going to be eloquent to him because he lives on them, man. He lives on them. Just like if you're in love, you live on your spouse's words, man. You live on the little things that they'll say to you. God lives on your words, man, just as much as you'll live on his And about fasting, a little farther down in 16 to 18, he says, And when you fast, don't make it obvious, as the hypocrites do, for they try to look miserable and disheveled, so people will admire them for fasting. I tell you the truth, that is the only reward they will ever get. But when you fast, comb your hair, wash your face, then no one will notice that you're fasting except your Father who knows what you do in private. And your Father who sees everything will reward you. Can you tell in these scriptures that Jesus is always having to confront the religious that have a tendency to make prayer and fasting a visible public work? Man, no wonder the world can't stand us sometimes because we're so Christian, it hurts their eyes. I mean, we act like we're so much holier and greater sometimes, and that's just not the truth. It's not the truth at all. I mean, the, the sad part, I think that's why our churches keep growing, and, and, and yet we're not making an, an effect on our world and our country, is because we act like nothing's wrong with us. I think if we just were honest about everything being wrong with us, I think we'd give more glory to God. People would start to believe, Wow. What kind of they say the same thing they said about Jesus. Man, you hang out with those kind of people? Yeah, I do. That's my family. You know? This guy, Peter, this guy who smells like fish and has got a bad mouth. This guy's your best friend? Absolutely, he is. He's totally gonna mess it up a lot. But hey, I love him. You know, I mean, like this is who Jesus is, right? Jesus cares more about what's on your heart. More about what's on your heart. Are you gonna make mistakes? Absolutely. But you don't have to try to hide anything or act a certain way. You know, he says, when you fast, you ain't got to tell nobody. You know, sometimes I get people, you know, people ask me after something. I'm like, yeah, I'm good. I'm good. But it's hard because I don't want to be rude and things like that. And then there are times where I do have to say, hey, going through some spiritual things right now, man, I'm praying and I'm fasting over some things. I'm not trying to bring it up. And I will say stuff like that. And I think that's okay because at some point I don't want to be rude to anybody if I say no to a lunch or anything like that but we need prayer and we need fasting. When those are those times when we're separate from God or we feel like there's a disconnect there, we need to be praying. We need fasting. We need to keep our prayer life honest and authentic. Keep your fasting in secret. Don't nobody care how holy you are. Nobody but Jesus. And it's imputed unto you. You you can't earn holiness. You are holy because he is holy. And because he is in you and you are in him, you become holy. Trust that God sees you and let that be enough. Christ loves, accepts us just like we are. Our real self, not some made-up religious version of ourself. He sees right through our corrupt mouth and our false image, right into the heart of what we really are. Jesus doesn't use our weaknesses against us. Rather, he's gentle and he's forgiving, and he offers us what we know we do not deserve, which is forgiveness. My thing is, are you struggling here in the Lord? Well, then pray. Are you struggling to feel the tangible presence of God, and you're up against the wall on a few things? Well, then fast. One last thing, and I'm going to close with this about fasting. While the primary act of fasting might draw us closer to Christ, most definitely a secondary function is revealing the things that control us. That's why you saw the thing about the cell phone on the video, and you saw some of the other things. Um, I I taught uh, in the the middle school and high school at Faith Academy that fasting, and what I like drilled into them, is fasting does what? And they would tell you, it shows us what uh, our idols are. What are we worshiping that's not God? And when we fast, it has a tendency to show that, right? What we've replaced God with in our heart. In the book Celebration of Richard Foster says it like this. More than any other discipline, fasting reveals the things that control us. This is a wonderful benefit to the disciple who longs to be transformed into the image of Christ. We cover up what is inside us with food and good things But in fasting, these things begin to surface. If pride controls us, it will be revealed almost immediately. Anger, jealousy, strife, fear, if they are within us, they will surface during fasting. At first, we will rationalize that our anger is due to our hunger. Then we'll realize that we are angry because the spirit of anger is within us. We can rejoice in this knowledge because we know that healing is available through the power of Christ. When we fast... It brings everything that we struggle with to the surface. I've made no mention here. People know they've heard me say it from preaching. My, my, like, I, like, should fast all the time because the one thing that, like, is my crutch, when I stress out, I eat. When I feel good, I eat. Dude, just make no mistake, food is my idol. I mean, if I worship anything else other than God, it's food. Good food, too. I don't want to eat junk. I want to eat good. Like, pay a lot of money, eat something good, eat something right. I, I, I don't even want to eat healthy. I just want to eat something that tastes good. Soul food, good for not my soul. It's not, they call it soul food. I don't know what that's for. It's not like making me better. Probably killing me off quicker. Now, I, I tell you that because I feel bad about it. I feel bad that I know it, and I still struggle with it. Even I know that I, that I struggle. I know it's an idol in my life. Yeah, I have to eat. But the... The hard part for me is how do I control that when, like, I, like I'm going to come in. I'm going to eat right today. Donuts look really good, though. And, like, I have no self-control, right? And I have no willpower to stop myself. And, and then I get depressed and guilty. Does it sound familiar? Right? It doesn't matter what that vice is for you. Get, you know, go, for some of us, put your phone down. Like, ooh, easy, Right? Like if I did that to most of the teenagers in here I'd be like, Nope. Nope. Can't do it. They'd be like bored. We would hear about it as parents. Don't lie, you give them their phone just so they'll shut up. <laughs> right? Because, man, they don't know life. I mean, you and I you you laugh. Those that are older enough like me remember what it was like, man. We're lucky we didn't blow up the world. We had nothing else to do. You know? They got their phones now and they sit there and they never move off. The zombie apocalypse has already happened. It's already taken place. We're gonna have to pray, man. And the sad part, is, the, the vice changes for every generation. A vice changes for every generation. We're smarter now about our health than ever before, and I can, there's nowhere I can't go and get information about how to be more healthy and how to control that part of me. But the truth comes out is every time I stress out, the moment of weakness begins, guilt and self-loathing begin, and then if I don't turn to Jesus real quick, I can get depressed, I can feel lonely, and I can feel isolated but I have to fast. Why? Because I have to know that the only place I can find healing and hope is in Christ. And when I am self-loathing and when I am in depression and those things like that, I am distant from the Lord, not because he is moved, but because I keep shrinking back. Why? Because he is so holy and I am so not. He is so right. And I am so wrong. And so when I begin to fast and I begin to pray, I used to, I told my wife, man, about day three, I'm super emotional. Like all of a sudden I become a girl. I don't know what happens start crying a lot. I haven't had, you know, like I won't go without food. I'll go without food for like three days and just like all of a sudden I can cry over anything. You know, that, like, did you see the flower outside? It was so beautiful. I just see God everywhere now. And every time like I want to fast because I remember those moments are so good where I all of a sudden get close with the Lord and all my idols like are, are, are like falling off me and God is doing such wonderful work while I'm fasting. But the work of it, the fear of it, knowing that uh, as, soon as, I, as soon as I say to myself, I'm going to fast, somebody's going to invite me to a big ribeye dinner. It never fails. And I'd call it the devil, but all of you are nice people. <laughs> this is why we fast. At the end of the day, what do we really want? We just want to be close to Jesus. We just want to be close to Jesus. We just want to change. And listen, I don't, I don't know how to change All I know is that the more I've walked with Jesus, I have changed. Uh, I don't ever see it half as much as other people tell me. I don't know. I always feel like every day it's a new struggle. When it wasn't drugs, it was alcohol. Alcohol's always been my bigger vice. I tell people now, there's guys that I work with that'll have a few drinks here and there, and I tell them all the time, there's never a day that goes by that I don't wish I had a drink. Ever. Ever. And it's just how life is going to be. And every day I'm going to have to get up and tell myself no. No. And the, 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 the greatest thing is I, th- I believe I'm delivered from that. However, even though my mind works to always constantly fall back into those things. But, but one thing I've noticed in my life, and I think we're the same, is that it doesn't matter if it's drinking, it'd be something else. There's always something trying to latch onto to me. There's, I mean, there's like leeches all over this world, whether it's not my phone, like taking all my time when I should be talking to my wife in bed, but I'm too busy on YouTube or I'm too busy on Facebook or Instagram. And she's like, remember when you used to talk? And I'd be like, I'm going to put my phone down. And then she's like, and I'm like, remember when we used to talk? <laughs> Hang on. I'm like, it's you. Right? Right? And so, like, I, I'm, it's like th- there's things where I need to fast. There's times in my life where I need to fast all media. There's times in my life when I need to fast food. Not eat fast food. I want to fast it. I want to get rid of it. I want to not have it, you know? There's times in my life when I want to fast other things. Fast TV, fast books, fast people, and be alone. I, I read a book one time that says often we, we we don't want to be alone because we don't even like ourselves. I think I'm like that. I've I've gone to the dear least a lot by myself, and I find myself immersed in media as much as possible because I don't want to have to be in a quiet place with myself. Because then what would I do? I don't know what to do. Well, I could talk with the Lord. Okay, that's five minutes. He's not a big conversationalist, guys. He did not talk back a lot. All right. And then I, I, can't, I can't even sit quietly anymore. I've noticed that about myself. I can't I have a hard time sitting in quiet places now because I'm so used to being entertained. And then I start seeing that that is idle in my life. I think entertainment's robbing me from the joy of the Lord. Can't know these things unless you fast. You can't know it. How will you? Because it seems normal everybody else is doing it. How do you know what it's doing to your heart? How do you know what it's doing? I don't care what it's doing to somebody else. I, I care what it's doing to you. Do you, do you and, and for me, like, I'm just looking at me. I, I'm not here to, like, point a finger because I, there's no way I could without pointing it back at me. And, and, and I've, I've said here before, the, the, my job as a pastor is to be vulnerable before you, to be absolutely transparent, to show you my flaws all the time, to lay my flaws out before you so that you can see my weaknesses. Because like Paul said, in my weaknesses, Christ is glorified. You can see Christ at work in me. I'm trying I'm not always succeeding, a lot of times failing, but I'm trying. I get back up, and I keep going, and I keep going. One of the great things we're doing this morning, speaking of keep, get back up and keep going, I've, I've told many of you who talked to me about uh, walking in the Lord, Discipleship 101 is this. I'm going to break it down the simplest. It's not some big prayer. It's not, I'm not gonna, I don't care about the 20 years of your life. If you'll do this one thing. And it's not read your Bible every day, although I think that'll come if you're pursuing Christ. Here's all I would ask of anybody who chooses to follow Christ. I'm not saying be a church or anything else, right? Church exists when people who follow Christ come together. It's not a brand to be labeled on the side of a building. It's not a brand to be put out on a banner. It's I mean, come on. We can call ourselves what we all want. But the truth of the matter is anytime we come together, followers of Christ come together, we are the church. Okay, here's the one thing. When life knocks you down, get back up. I'm not saying succeed. I'm not saying that you're going to get up and you're going to conquer everything and give you this hoorah speech. What I'm going to tell you is when life knocks you down, you just get up and try again. That doesn't mean you're going to uh, succeed. But if you'll just keep getting back up, if you, what, what you struggle with now will not be what you struggle with later. I, I, like I said, I can't tell you when I quit. I mean, I, the first time for me hearing the gospel happened when I was smoking weed in the garage. My brother-in-law, my brother-in-law, literally as he's sharing a joint with me, says, hey, man, have you ever heard about Jesus? Or I think it was more like, a, man, do you know where you're going to go when you die? And at the time, he wasn't my brother-in-law, so I don't know if he was threatening my life or <laughs> what. But, but in there, our first hearing it, and at the time, he, hearing it in, by someone else who was still struggling in life, believing that God could love us just like we were was enough for me I mean it didn't really happen right then but eventually would win me over and that's how my whole Christian walk has been it's never been instant for me it's been about getting back up and trying again I uh I got asked a question about 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 our church uh, by a guy who was asking a question about church planning and things like that he says what's what's the mission of your church I said to fail he's like how's that a good mission?" And I was like, because in failing, we'll figure out what's right. Failure always leads to success, man. Touch the stoves. Tell me if it's hot, and tell me if you do it again. How did you learn? You learn because that joker's hot. As long you know, you ever had a blister from a burn? You learned not to touch it again, didn't you? Ask any girl with a curling iron; they know better. <laughs> touch it, it burns, man. You learn. You learn, man. How's our, well, He's like, man, your mission's to fail. I'm like, yeah, because in failing, we'll succeed. We will try things. They might work. They might not. We will do outreaches. Some might be good. Some might be not. But we will not be scared to try. And when we fail, we will get back up, and we will try again. We will be resilient. That's all. That's our whole walk, guys. I, I can't give you anything more than I am, that's what I am. I've failed a whole lot in my life. I continue to fail daily, but I get back up and I keep trying. The cool thing about that is when we come to the Lord, that's what we want to tell the world. That's what we want to tell the world. Look, look, it's, it's not about world, look at me, I'm a Christian now, I'm better than you. By the way, everybody out there that hadn't heard the name of Jesus is our brothers and sisters, and man, we should, to our dying breath, try to reach out to every single one of them and go after them. We're not better than them, we are them. They are us. If they don't make it, we don't win either, guys. It's not that way. It's not like if we get to the finish line, well, we made it and the rest didn't. No, we all lost. We need as many as we can. We need to take them all if we have to. I like how Spurgeon said, may they jump over my body on the way into hell. But I'm going to grab them. They're going to have to drag me straight down there with them. I'm going to be holding on their ankles as, far, as much as I can to try to keep them from going. Because love, it's all about love. And when we want the world to know it, we do baptisms. That's what the whole idea of baptism was about. There ain't nothing spiritual about this water trough. I will say, nothing has fed out of it. We did buy it brand new. All right? Nothing drank out of it. It's not, we, no animals have ever drank anything out of it. It's just, it is ours. But there's nothing special about it. It's not holy water. We didn't get the Pope to come in, stick his ring finger in there, and like, that's it. All right? Did not happen that way. Yeah, yeah. It did not happen that way. Um, you know, he's a good guy. Yeah. Um, But it's not holy water. There's nothing special about the water, there's nothing special about me. All baptism is this. It's saying, I went into the water one way, but I'm coming out another. And it's and it's basically really it's saying, I want you to know a public confession that I am committing myself to getting back up and trying. It's not a commitment to be perfect. It's not a commitment to be right every day. It's not a commitment to be holy. It's not listen, those things are imputed unto you through Christ by grace it doesn't make you something god has already made you as soon as you receive christ you receive salvation there's no salvation in the water this is a public confession faith this is you saying to the world i'm ready to, to continue to get back up in my life and keep trying I'm not going to be perfect I might not even be great at it but by gosh i'm not going to quit that's what it is amen? amen so i don't know if you're ready for this but i am ready for this Are you ready for this reach i'm calling she's coming bring the kids in here Tim, you're going to be first as soon as we get them in here. If you need video, want to take pictures, do anything like that, get yourself situated with each one. We're going to do. Are you ready, brother? No jumping. Never fails. You see, like right around anybody does baptisms, they always somebody finds that link to the. There's a kid on YouTube where he like cannonballs into the baptismal. You know, it's it's wonderful. No cannonballs. All right, all right. It's pretty warm though, so it should be okay. Go. Nobody's eaten or drank out of here. People used to get baptized in rivers. <laughs> I actually have a uh, picture of Joy's. Uh, you can stay standing right now. I have a picture of Joy's grandfather, um, 19 years old, pastoring a church, and he's holding like a tent revival, and, and and you can see the tent in the background, and he's baptizing in the in the culvert. Ir- yeah, the irrigation ditch or whatever it is, right there next to the tent. Pretty amazing, man, back then. You can go ahead and have a seat. It didn't overflow. That's a good sign. I swear those bubbles are not for me. Well, I'll tell you that. <laughs> Here's what I'm going to have you do. You're going to grab one arm put it like that, and the other arm's going to come over the nose. All right, here in a minute. Hang on, hang on, hang on. Pull it off. Here we go. I'm going to ask you something. You believe in Jesus with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? I just want you to know God loves you. God accepts you just like you are, not as you should be. For none of us are as we should be. I baptize you now in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Come on. Here, we got an extra one. we can put this one down or we can put this one down you can use this one too hope you out Yeah, we have a couple bathrooms for changing <laughs> praise the lord amen. amen I think we have one more Is this one, do I need to step back here?
1: I might sit in that and be underwater. <laughs> I told you. She's part of our family um, here at Mosaic, and our family. Yeah. And um, I love you. <laughs> so, um, so we're gonna. Um, so you know, I'm just gonna talk. Okay. Baptism is just it's symbolic. It is really just you have decided to follow Christ, and as you go down, the old you goes down, and the new you. is just showing the world of how how wonderful you are but god sees your heart and he loves you um, so we're going to just baptize you and show you the show the world <laughs> the new you anyway so if you'll um put your yes there we go have it there um and you've accepted christ as your lord and savior i see that i don't even need to ask you that i see it in your walk so definitely right now i baptize you in the name of the father the son and the holy spirit
0: one of one of the things yeah 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 one of the things with just watching both of them is uh is uh, seeing their growth, seeing them come here and seeing where their lives are at and, and everything. And, um, and I hope that they become, they, they're, no, they're not a testimony for anything that we've done. They're a testimony for the Lord, that he is who, who he says he is. Uh, you know, Brennan, I, well, I said it there in the first one, just saying that God loves us just like we are, not as we should be. Brennan Manning says that, and he says that because none of us are as we should be. And I hope that when you come here, that that's the environment that we that we create here. For all of us that are a part of this, create an environment. Nobody's perfect, so don't bring that idea that you have to be that here. And uh, I, I'm watching them both to be baptized, and I, and I see their lives. And, and the great thing is, is like, I just see everything that God's doing, and I'm reminded of God in my own life. And, and, and for many of us, I, I hope that you like you remember that time where God's like, spoken in your life. And, and it just, it's a highly emotional thing there. I'm trying not to cry myself. So uh, with that, we're going to conclude service. I'm going to let them get changed and let the families get together. And, and uh, uh, thank you so much. We love you. We love you. Thank you for being a part of us this morning.